welcome to another episode of the Just a Couple Dudes podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Eric Flattiger. And I'm your co-host, Anthony Michael Cole. And uh, someone that we're missing today is uh, Frank Lewandowski Third. Yes. Um, so today, me and Anthony got to speak with Mark Little. He is a extremely cool guy. He's a lawyer, a pastor, a father, a husband, uh, a proud American. Uh, he's lived an incredible life. And we got him today. We had a really good conversation with him just about, you know, what strong males and men and supporting one another looks like in today's society. Yeah. And with that came, uh, you know, talks about education, uh, discipline, and uh, hard work. Uh, so it, it was a subject that everyone could benefit from. And I'm really excited for y'all to, to hear this one. Yeah. And despite your political or religious views, I think we should all just have an open mind and listen to someone's life and, you know, their perspective. You can grow from it. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So uh, thank you, everybody, for tuning in to all the other episodes that we've done. And I hope you enjoy this one. Hey, Mark, can you hear us? Mark is here. And we sound good. There's no echo. It's beautiful. I like that's, it. That's excellent. Yeah. Technology does work, right? <laughs> <laughs> after, yeah, after you put a ton of energy into it, apparently. And patience. And patience. That is the truth. So, uh, Mark, this is Anthony here. I know you've been in contact a lot with Eric, um, but I wanted to let you know I'm excited uh, excited to talk with you today, learn a little bit more about you. And um, we gave you a soft opening, and really what that soft opening was uh, was that you were just uh, you were a man that uh, pursued what you what you felt was right, and um, just a good guy. And some may uh, you know agree with your views, and some are gonna feel the opposite because uh, you're just one of those people that just embraces yourself, and you're not scared to say it. And I like it. Uh, so uh, we'll let you kind of introduce yourself too. Uh, well, we do know some other stuff. We'll bring it up later. But uh, I just want to let you take the reins. Sure. Well, I, pre- I appreciate that. And, and thank you so much for reaching out to me. And if at any time uh, you can't hear me, let me know. And I'll make whatever adjustment I need to make. Um, happy Saturday to you guys. I'm so hey, glad happy that Saturday you guys, too, man. Yeah, glad you guys do this show. Uh, One of the reasons that I thought it was really important to to respond, to be with you today, is because of the emphasis on on men and fathers. Mm -hmm. And uh, I've got so many aspects of my life that I could share with you. Politics is is probably on the on the bottom of the list of what I think is is critically important. Um, I think at the top of the list uh, is being uh, a good husband and a good father. The African American community, in particular, uh, with the Latino community following uh, close behind, um, the absence of fathers in our homes at about 72 percent. With uh, most African American homes led by single strong mothers, it's not a knock. I'm the product of a single strong mother, Uh, but the model uh, that we are missing in the home. Uh, is really reflected in, in the problem that we're having in culture. Now, I could speak spiritually about the problem with culture that is in many ways uh, uh, consumed with darkness and the agenda of the enemy. That's a separate issue. But I'm speaking uh, practically about what happens when the model of the father is not in the home. I'm really blessed to have uh, adopted a little boy from... Uh, uh, 15 months old from Ethiopia 
Uh, my wife and I had infertility challenges for, for a decade. Uh, and, uh, and the Lord uh, led us uh, to uh, follow her heart, which she had always had a heart for Ethiopia. I did not. And I have to tell you, um, for anyone who is listening, the joy of adopting, we didn't want to go the foster care route because of the emotional risks involved there. Uh, but we ended up adopting mm -hmm. a little boy that, uh, his name is Yaqab. They call him Yaqob uh, in Amharic. It means Jacob. And it has uh -huh. been one of, the, one of the greatest joys of my life to, to be a father. Uh, it is uh, a gift from God to be able to model uh, what a man is to his wife, what a man is to his community. And, and if you guys are, are, are fathers, you know what I'm talking about. I mean, the kids emulate, girls and boys, they emulate dad. And part of the problem in the culture, dating back uh, to the New Deal and, and Hoover after that, was the promotion of the nanny state that said that fathers didn't have to make a commitment anymore that the government was going to be able to provide the assistance long-term that families needed. Now, I'm not against assistance. I am against assistance becoming a way of life because mm -hmm. the culture now devalues work. The culture now has men devaluing the role, the God-given role of headship and leadership uh, that is God's ordained plan for the family. And consequently, the families are broken. You may recall the Daniel Patrick Moynihan report that was given uh, to Johnson in uh, 1964. He predicted uh, the, the, the breakdown of the nuclear family, particularly in the black community, and it has come to pass. And so part of my introduction is, is, is that I'm a proud dad uh, and husband trying to lead. I'm living both in Washington, D.C., doing policy work, uh, and my, uh, my wife and son have been for the last 10 months uh, in Los Angeles, where my primary residence is, and I go back and forth. Uh, but I tell you, it is a great joy. It is a great joy. So I'll stop there. Uh, but there's so much more I could say, but I'll stop there for now. Uh, well, Mark, I mean, I commend you for that. And uh, adoption is a really beautiful thing. There's a lot of a lot of babies in need out there that need adoption. They need good households and need strong fathers. And uh, I just love to hear that. That's what you're about and that's what you're doing. Um, Cause that is what we promote on our podcast. When we created it, you know, we've had some very, you know, exemplary, beautiful, strong women come on, you know, and, but we really felt like there was a need, a niche and a voice for promoting men and masculinity and good fathers and and just strong male leadership and what that means and so it's really awesome that you're able to uh, connect and i'm really happy to have you here to have this conversation we have some some really good questions just kind of digging into into your life and your background that i would love for you to expand on as well um but yeah i think that that is a that is a great point i myself um i work in education i work in school administration in the Phoenix area, I'm the uh, dean of students at a local high school. And one thing, being near downtown Phoenix, a lot of our kids, we're an alternative Title I school, charter school, and we a lot of our kids, you know, it's single moms, it's grandma, it's big sister, bringing in students to enroll them, a lot of absent dads. And that just seems to be a need all over our country. Wow, well, I don't know if you know this, but I, I'm the uh, proud founder 
of a charter school that has now grown to elementary, middle school, and high school in Los Angeles. And one of the things that was so painful for me, I'm, I'm so glad that you uh, have that as a part of your career path. Uh, it's so, so important. Uh, but one of the things that uh, disheartened uh, me and, and the the uh, executive director of the school was that we, f- we, we, we placed the school in the middle of our inner city uh, with the goal of, of giving an option uh, to the students in this predominantly black and Latino area. And the black mothers would bring their students into our uh, orientation and they would discover uh, that their children had to have uniforms uh, and that there was a role for the parents to play in their homework uh, and that there was a parent-teacher compact uh, that was important uh, because we valued, we call our students scholars and we're preparing them for, for college. Uh, and that's not to in any way diminish trade schools. I think that Booker T. Washington talked about that and I think that's a very important uh, 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 avenue that we should be promoting. Uh, but my point is, is that these uh, single strong mothers who in many cases were working more than one job, thought that that was too rigorous for them. And consequently, our student population is 77% Latino. Mm-hmm. And, and one of the challenges that we have in this country and in our families is an ethic around education. Education is not a, a side note. It is not a, 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 oh, oh, by the way. It has got mm-hmm. to be a primary focus in our families. When I was coming up raised by my mom, she would say, son, get an education. It's the one thing that no one can ever take away from you. Mm-hmm. And it was a, it was a mantra. Uh, and it, it wasn't... Uh, necessarily an authoritarian statement, but it was a part of the ethos. It was a part of uh, uh, the DNA of what we were made of when I was growing up. And so education is so important in vouchers that you now we're in schools that are failing in our inner cities in so many ways, and they're so controlled by school districts and boards and, and, and teachers' unions. And unfortunately, if you're not a charter school, you don't have the flexibility to give the students what they really need. Uh, and in many instances, as you know, discipline is also a part of creating a healthy child that becomes mm-hmm. a healthy adult. And nowadays, you can't even expel students. You can't, you can't discipline them. You can't put them in detention in certain school districts around the country. Uh, they're getting, they're getting uh, trophies for not doing anything. Um, we are destroying the next generation in large part in school districts that are not charter schools. Obviously, I'm a proponent of charter schools. Having, I'm the chairman of the board uh, for, for a, a, what has now become a, has become a, 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 a charter a CMO, a charter management organization. Uh, and so I'm a proponent of that, and I get to see uh, what other public schools are not doing. And just to your point... Uh, doing what you do, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Yeah, and uh, and we are seeing the future mm-hmm. impacted by what we're not doing in public school. Charter schools in California, by the way, 
are part of the public school system. So I, I speak broadly uh, uh, in using that term, uh, but charter yeah. schools do have uh, their own uh, ability to, to tailor their, their amount of hours and tailor their instruction. So, Yeah, Mark, I mean, you're speaking my language, man. Uh, charter schools are public schools um, in Arizona too. Our, our school, or they can be, um, our school is a public school. And as the dean of students, I'm in charge of all discipline. So when you brought that up, that just, I mean, it's right up my alley because all day, every day, I deal with, you know, trying to effectively discipline a high school of, you know, that's an alternative status. So most of our students come to us because they couldn't make it in the surrounding uh, public schools. And so I've run into so many, you know, bumps <laughs> trying to just, if a kid needs to be suspended for some kind of action, just the the reaction I get from not just a student, but their family and their parents, it's like this crazy blame game. And um, it's so sad because I'm like, you know, I really want to, I really want to help, you know, and you really want to teach and, and to, to have them learn something from their actions. And we, I feel like society is getting to a point where it is scary when I see these, these young 14, 15, 16 year old kids who, it's almost, I don't know if it's the sense of entitlement or um, nothing is there. They're not responsible for their own actions, but I'm trying so hard to connect with them and show them like your, you know, what's happening. This consequence is a direct result of your actions, you know? And so that's the struggle. That's my daily struggle. And so you're speaking my language, Mark. And uh, I think what you're doing with uh, your charter and with everything you're doing, I think that's amazing because I think that's a huge, huge need in public education. I also wanted to add, too, just to bring this full circle, uh, just my thoughts on it is uh, from what I see, I, me and Eric, neither of us, we, uh, we have children, uh, but we both want kids one day. Uh, but we, we were both disciplined as children and what we're seeing today. And I feel like the reason there's this sense where these these kids in school uh, don't have a sense of uh, authority and they don't have a sense of responsibility is because uh, all of a sudden as a society, discipline is missing in the home. Yep. And, you know, and the thing is, it may not seem like a kid may throw a temper tantrum or something, but they crave, uh, mm -hmm. you know, discipline. They need it. They, they want you to be the leader. They don't want to just, you know, do whatever they want. And then them in their mind think that they're the leader. They want a leader, you know, and that's the mm -hmm. same even if it's like you have a dog. Mm -hmm. You know, how attractive is it when you have a well-trained uh, dog or cat or whatever your pet is, you know, and they look at you as the alpha dog. They respect you more. You know, and they love you more and appreciate your time more. And uh, instead of a dog that just runs willy-nilly, is, you know, peeing on the carpet, chewing up the couch. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, it's discipline is so integral. Uh, and it is, like you said, it is just missing in society today. And I'm so glad uh, that, that you're pursuing it. Eric, of course, my uh, one of my best buds. We've been best friends for just over 18 years. Uh, I'm glad he is, too. Well, you, you must be clairvoyant because everything you just said, I was – I was waiting to say, so thank you. And, 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 I mean, it was it was a little scary because from from thought to thought, you were just picking picking my mind, and I was getting I was getting a little mad. I said, "There he goes again." <laughs> there he goes again. Yeah, yeah, you know, we wanted we wanted this to be a short episode, and so yeah, we're actually ending it right now. <laughs> so so as you were talking, I had the imagery of a a wolf pack, a wolf pack. Absolutely. And, and, and let me tell you, um, if, if, if a wolf pack didn't have an alpha male, 
to, to, to not only train, right, as he runs and shows them how to run, shows them how to hunt, shows them how to circle around, that's the training, right, running, training, discipline, uh, uh, and even ultimately how to mate. Um, uh, all of these things are so critical. Right now, when you talk about uh, just even mating and dating uh, in our culture, um, because the dad is not in the home, they have got no model of how to value women. As We're talking about men right now. I can talk about women too. But boys don't have the model of how to value women. So what happens? They don't see it in, in the home. The, the girls are without appreciation from a man in the home. So she doesn't value her body. She therefore gives it to this young boy who doesn't know what to do with it. He then, because he doesn't value her, sleeps with anybody who will give it to him. They then create children, and the cycle continues. So there's no valuing of women in the culture. The women don't value themselves. The government takes care of them. And, and men don't have to have any accountability uh, for their actions. It is a disaster. I'm literally shaking right now. Like, it's so true. It's so true. And, and I'm so glad that uh, there's a voice right now. And I'm, I'm glad we're talking with you. I'm glad you agreed to talk with us. Mm -hmm. it's, it, to me, it's, it's pretty cool that uh, you could see just from a few messages that uh, we have a similar message to everybody out there. Well, there's no doubt. When I saw your focus on men, I said, I'm in. Uh, I have a, a good friend named Frank Sontag who is on KKLA in Los Angeles. Uh, it's a Salem station. And he created Kingdom Men's Global uh, Gathering uh, 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 because of the need for men uh, to be ministered to. Uh, KMG is what it's called. And I must, I must tell you, uh, there are a lot of ministries popping up like his and like yours who are responding to the void in the culture because that is, uh, in large measure, uh, a part of the solution is for men to stand in their rightful roles as leaders. Uh, and the culture wants to uh, emasculate us. The culture wants to, you know, you know the whole gang uh, sagging pants uh, culture where they think that that's somehow attractive and it, and it goes across culture, across ethnicities. It's not just a black thing. It's a jail culture that's now in, in society, and they don't understand when, when you have a, your pants sagging, that means my booty is available in jail. <laughs> I know. <laughs> yeah. I, oh, man, I know. You're, you're speaking my language, Mark, because all my students, they, they sag their pants, and they do it with, like, a sense of pride, you know? Like, oh, yeah. They're sagging it with this kind of pride, or they say things to me that really bother me. You know, like, they'll, they have the audacity just to straight up tell me, who is an authority figure on campus? I'm uh, part of my French, but they'll be like, "Hey, Mister, where are all your bitches at?" Uh -huh. yeah. And then I have to, you yeah. know, I have to make it a yeah. point to stop yeah. and be like, you know, and just address it. But they have, that's how they perceive women. Mm -hmm. That's how they perceive their life. Like mm -hmm. women to them, it's just an object. It's not, mm -hmm. you know, what they can right. build. And and that's what's sad. And there's a kid, you know, if a student says that to me, nine times out of ten absentee father no you know what i mean no runs wild no yep. and it's it's just it's terrible because my father i have a strong father i had a, mm -hmm. a father who was in my life i was blessed i won the life lottery to have two yeah. parents yeah. and they oh man i just see stuff i'm like my parents would have just eviscerated me <laughs> if i talked like that if i oh, did that oh 
And there's no, there's no doubt about it. And look, uh, the next step for that kid is the strip club culture, which only perpetuates the devaluing of women who are scammering around for dollar bills. Uh, so the culture and the music in the culture um, promotes the devaluing of women. Uh, and, 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 and it's men and women. It, you can't blame one gender over the other. Uh, they, they, it's, they've fallen into this, I, I think, really a demonic stronghold uh, that is uh, tearing apart families. And of course, that gets to what you just said, uh, you know, a, a, a man and a woman is God's design to raise a family. Yes. And, and what, have we, what have we gotten into now? We, we are now, I say, and, and, and when I preach this particular sermon, that we have elected officials who worship at the altar of same-sex marriage. That is an absolute key to the destruction of our society. It's, it's, it's one of the leading factors. Uh, it'll, 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 it'll show itself in a generation uh, when, uh, when a, a man and a woman in a household is no longer the norm. God, God created marriage as a fence around the family. Marriage was created to protect the family, and that, that fence has been destroyed, and we will begin to see the effects of that in the next generation. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, I'd, I'd love to hear your thoughts on, so a lot of kids, you know, a lot of young males especially, I'll just take an example from, from the school I work at, you know, they all want to be rappers. They all think that, that they're going to maybe be a professional athlete. You know, stuff like that. They have these crazy, you know, high pipe dreams. And I think people should dream, you know, if you want to be a sure. you know, pro baseball player, NFL, cool. But the culture around I'm going to be the next rapper, I'm going to be the next this or that influencer, you know, they don't want to do anything else. They don't want they all want to drop out of school at 15. They know they don't want jobs. They don't want any kind of work. And. You know, it's like society for some reason is just pushing a culture and a narrative like you brought up the rap culture, like that kind of toxicity is in my mind, it's kind of like brainwashing the generation below to just think that, you know, and what they're really doing is they just become, you know, addicts for that um, that social media outlet or that rapper. They're making the, the few rich, right? Because they buy all their stuff and they, you know, they, they listen to them, they buy their content, but then they, they themselves are poor. They keep mm-hmm. the masses poor mm-hmm. and there's a few at the top, right? Mm-hmm. That's um, right. So what are your thoughts on like, I guess I would say on hip hop, rap culture, celebrity culture, mm-hmm. that kind of thing and your message to young teenage men or young men in their, you know, maybe 19, 20, getting into college or college yeah. age, I should say. Yeah. Well, I have a lot to say about it, and it's both, pra- it's both practical and spiritual. Uh, first, let me deal with the spiritual components of it. Uh, and unfortunately, a lot of the students who may listen to this podcast are being raised in a culture where church attendance is low, biblical literacy is low, and so what I'm about to say may not resonate uh, because they don't have uh, the, uh, uh, the foundation to receive it. Uh, and that is a, a sort of a biblical perspective, a, a Christian worldview, if you will. But celebrity culture uh, is, 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 is another uh, real challenge uh, in, 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 in our culture today. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with the, the seven kingdoms, often called the seven pillars, 
uh, education, entertainment, uh, government. Mm -hmm. uh, there's seven. Uh, and entertainment <clears throat> being one of them. And here's the biggest challenge with entertainment. <clears throat> you see people like Whitney Houston, Michael Jackson, Prince, and others uh, who have fallen, uh, in some cases very mysteriously, even back to Elvis Presley. And, 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 and the challenge that we have in celebrity culture today <clears throat> is that it, it is a form of idolatry. <clears throat> what people have to understand about celebrity culture, whether it is social media influencers uh, or the traditional uh, actors uh, and, and musicians, and by the way, I've been a, a, musical, a music attorney for many years, so I have represented many of these people. Sugar Shane Mosley, uh, a boxer, is, is still one of my clients today. So, so I, I know what I'm I talking about. I just love about. hearing about you, Mark. This is awesome. <laughs> <laughs> and, and several of my friends are some of the uh, leading black actors in Hollywood today. If I called their names, you would know. Um, but here, here's my point. Celebrity culture is a culture of idolatry. And here's the point. Flesh was not made to be worshipped. And so you see the Elvis Presleys and the Michael Jacksons and the uh, Whitney Houston's falling prey uh, to, to things that they've you know, used to cope, uh, not understanding that they are being worshipped, which is for God alone. Now, so that's one side of the coin, and that's the problem, and you see what happens to these celebrities. Bar none. Uh, you, you may not see the effects of it. Uh, some of them seem healthy, and we can get into Illuminati. We can get into all of the things that are happening that are demonic uh, in entertainment with Jay-Z and others. Uh, and they look like they're prospering, but ultimately, uh, what's going to happen to their souls? I would but love to other, get into that later, Mark, yeah, honestly. Sure. Or maybe even another episode. Absolutely. But the other side of that coin is what happens to the worshiper. I just talked about the worshipee, but the worshiper who is worshiping these celebrities. Flesh was not made to be worshipped. So there is a, there is a, a consequence when, when the worshiper is worshiping flesh, when the worshiper is not worshiping God. Uh, they're, they're, uh, the, the Bible is replete with examples of what happened to the nation of Israel who were worshiping Baal and other gods. Uh, the, the, the consequence is absolute catas uh, catastrophic because flesh was not made to be worshipped. So the worshipee and the worshipper all have a catastrophic uh, impact uh, on their lives. And so the celebrity culture that we're now having today, we're, we're seeing some of the impacts of that. So when Michael Jackson dies and the whole world is mourning, when Kobe Bryant falls uh, in a helicopter crash and the whole world is mourning, uh, it, it, it is not the normal kind of mourning that you and I would experience uh, when, we, when we lose a, a, a loved one. The natural response to losing someone who is an athlete or a musician certainly is sadness and, 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 and remembering uh, the great things that they did. But if you look at how the world mourned Kobe Bryant, there's something unnatural about it. Mm -hmm. it, is the, it is to a depth and to a level that makes you wonder, what is this really about? And I'm here to tell you that it is idolatry and it is ungodly. 
Uh, so just to add to that, um, so I personally, I haven't had social media for uh, just about two years now. And so I, I, I was a person that, uh, you know, I probably had MySpace by the time I was 14, 13, 14. Mm-hmm. So when you just start becoming the man that you're going to be, you know, mm-hmm. and I had it all the way to the age of about right before 26 and I'm 28 now. Mm-hmm. And I just recently, just to get the name out for, uh, you know, just a couple dudes podcast. I just got, uh, you know, an Instagram for just a couple dudes. It was, it had nothing to do with me, you know, sure, just to sure. help get that name out. Yeah. And in fact, we couldn't have found you without it. Um, mm-hmm. but I remember when I first downloaded it and I was first on there, I had this over, like, I got sad within just a few hours because I mm-hmm. saw people just trying to sell themselves. Like you said, sell yeah. their body, you yeah. know, and, and instead of, you know, us, we were just trying to get the message out. Cause we, That's we right. feel like we got a positive message from mm-hmm. all these amazing people, whether they're quote unquote ordinary or they're quote unquote mm-hmm. extraordinary. That's and, right. and, uh, you know, and it, it, so now I have this social media because I want to, you know, I'm reaching out to somebody. And instead of it being me, me, me. Yeah. And uh, so I, I totally understand that idolatry uh, culture that you're talking about. And furthermore, I work on a, a cardiovascular ICU. Mm, wow. And so, yeah, I, uh, so I see death. Mm. Um, I mean, very, I've probably seen people mm. pass away, you know, mm. rest in peace, mm. uh, probably just under 30 times. You know, where I, you know, and it's just when you get overexposed to death. And then when I said the exact same thing you said about Mm. Kobe and not, you know, and I enjoyed watching Kobe Mm. growing up, but I was like, there are people dying every single day, you know, and, and, and and there's a lot of death that's happening that is preventable, you know, Mm -hmm. that we can, like you said, in education, Man, there's mm-hmm. something about an education, like you said, it can't be taken away. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, and it, it, it makes people, it helps us perceive that, you know, there's, there's a whole life out there. When you yeah. feel like you can master a subject, you can now do something too. Yeah. You, you know, I can master this subject, then I can master that subject. That's right. And that's education, that's you know? Right. And that's I wish right. we could even just change the perspective of, you know, how people are worshiping, uh, like what you're saying, worshiping, you know, this rap mm-hmm. culture and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Well, if we could almost just change the perspective, because even that rapper themselves, they studied poetry. They, they wrote and they worked and they, and it's like, look at their work ethic. Maybe, maybe their message is all wrong, mm-hmm. you know, but these people that you're looking up to, they themselves are educating themselves. You know, because there's a lot of rappers out there that aren't just, you know, rapping about sex no, and that's killing. that's exactly right. Yeah. No, there's some know. good stuff. I, I, I think the distinction has to be made that we can't make these people gods with a small g. And, and I think that's the distinction. And I think it goes back to where we started. Uh, a kid who thinks that um, basketball, rapping, uh, or sports in general are their only way out, the percentage... Of, of people who make it to, to the pros is very small. And even when they make it, my father was a professional football player, as you probably know. He's in the NFL Hall of Fame. Floyd Little, right? That, that's right. And, yeah. uh, and, and so very few people make it, make it that far. And so I'm t- teaching my son right now, who I got an Xbox for, which I, I, I'm, I'm near regretting. But it is it has taught him so much about football and basketball that I could have never taught him. He knows names that I don't, uh, uh, and, and he wants to be a, a football player. And that's and, and and by the way, before Xbox, he wanted to be a lawyer like his dad. Mm-hmm. 
And so, so what I'm doing now is I'm paying attention to that, and I'm talking to him about what it means to maybe own the basketball team. I'm trying to teach him principles beyond the athleticism uh, uh, that that he's now come to be so fond of. Uh, and so it's our role. But you know, if there if there's nobody in the home that's giving that other perspective. They are training themselves that that is the only way, uh, uh, not the only way, but the only thing they want to do. And it's a frightening culture. It really is. Uh, and so, But I am so glad that you're using technology in the right way. Uh, I don't think there's anything wrong with the, the t- technology. I think uh, it, it, from a biblical perspective, it's helped spreading the gospel in ways that mm-hmm. uh, it could have never been spread. Uh, and so uh, I think there's some really great things about it. Uh, but we just have to be uh, vigilant. And by the way, even with the good uh, uh, social media, uh, we have to have a healthy diet of it. Uh, mm-hmm. you know, some people uh, spend their lives on the Internet, day to day, on the couch, getting a check from the government. And it doesn't mean that what they're looking at is bad, but it's an, it's an outlet that can become unnatural. And so we, we sort of have to figure out how to find that balance, uh, just like food. You know, if you have too much of it, it's a bad thing. Yep. I was going to say everything in moderation, right? That's right. That's right. Um, and so I was going to say one thing I was thinking of, too, is uh, as we're talking about idolatry and things, is, you know, people that saying is you never want to meet your hero, right? Because all they can do is disappoint you. Um, and I just thought of that because I, I fell victim growing up um, as a teenager and both, a, you know, early on in my 20s, idolizing different celebrities or idolizing different athletes and just, you know, thinking like, oh, if I met them before I was mm-hmm. if I was like them, you know, and it's very natural, I think, to kind of, you know, Absolutely. to do that, especially when you're young, susceptible, oh, yeah. things like that. As I gotten older, though, I was actually having this discussion with my girlfriend just last mm-hmm. week. I was thinking. I was like, you know, I don't really have any celebrity idols or people that, I mean, I, I'm a fan of like maybe some of their work, mm-hmm. but I don't idolize them really. I don't, because it's just not, I'm like, it's not really healthy. I just felt like naturally it wasn't healthy and now it's, and spiritually it's, it's uh-huh. absolutely not, not healthy at all. And like we said about the whole, you know, you met, you touched on Kobe and it just really, it made me think of uh, Jim Valvano, the NC state coach, mm-hmm. um, he had had the saying that stuck with me. It was, uh, you know, he was saying that, you know, God must love ordinary people because he's made so many of them. And then mm-hmm. he goes, every single day and every walk of life, ordinary people do extraordinary things. That's right. And it's like, yeah, I mean, how many just ordinary, and it's the people we meet, you know, and that's why I started the podcast too, because I just thought, mm-hmm. do you know how many conversations I had in passing with people that had a credible message or like, you know, and so, that was the whole point is just to take that ordinary and make it extraordinary. Talk to people like yourself, you know, and, and so many of the others we've met. And so that was just my little That's bit. A beautiful on, quote. Beautiful yeah. Quote. And uh, honestly, even just to add to the name, just a couple dudes, you know, it's a very chill, relaxed name, you know, but we we're able to talk to these quote unquote, extraordinary people but you know what i'm excited about is bringing the 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 stories of the quote-unquote ordinary out we've talked to some we have that's what people are not realizing is that you have your your mom is an extraordinary person you know your neighbor is an extraordinary person you don't need to be you don't need to be focusing on these idols 
You, it's right there in front of you. You yourself are an extraordinary person. Oh. Embrace yourself, you know. And we tried to really encompass that here at Just a Couple mm. Dudes, uh, mm. because really we're all just people. Oh, that's exactly right. I love that. Uh, I'm gonna I'm going to meditate on that. That is a really really good quote. Uh, it's a really really good life philosophy. I love that. Yeah. Um, and so. Just to change things up a little bit, I had some questions I really want people to realize. And I love that we got 40 minutes almost into this conversation. It hasn't even been brought up because this is how much it hasn't, not that it hasn't affected you, but that I heard you in one of your YouTube videos talk about, and it's that you were shot at a very young age. Yeah. And there was a, you know, you had a, you know, a, a life-changing moment then. Mm-hmm. And so can you just inform anyone who's going to listen, can you just explain what happened to you when you were 18 and um, kind of the outcome of that situation? Absolutely. I was, I was 22. I just graduated from USC undergrad. Um, I guess maybe I was 18. Um, and uh, I was coming back from the store. USC, University of Southern California, is in a bad uh, part of Los Angeles. Uh, but I'm from Connecticut originally. And I, uh, all those uh, years of uh, being at USC, I just didn't know. Uh, much about uh, the Crips and the Bloods, frankly. Uh, I guess that's called being sheltered. And yeah, so one right. Night, yeah. One night I was coming back from the store. I, I was a poor college student and, and loved peanut butter and jelly then and love it now, frankly. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, uh, and, and the 32nd Street Market, which is no longer there, uh, had bread for 25 cents or 35 cents or so. And so I took my dollar and went and got my bread and was coming back. And, uh, and my girlfriend, now my wife, saw me coming and came out to meet me and we walked up the sidewalk together. Uh, and as I, as I approached our apartment door, my apartment door, um, just off the street, it was, it was situated right in front of a fire hydrant. And in, in, in front of the fire hydrant where no one would normally park, there was a car parked and it was a gold Jetta and there was a guy leaning over the uh, windshield uh, on the curbside, leaning over the windshield. And as I approached, uh, he turned to me and, and said, hey, can you help me fix this? And, and I didn't know it at the time, but, but Tigra was watching them from the apartment window and she sensed that something was not right. Uh, and she said, don't go. And I, and I just, sort of subconsciously just didn't hear her. And I turned to him and I said, sure, help you fix what? And he said, help me fix this. And he pointed a 12-gauge shotgun in the middle of my forehead. And my arms went up. And he said, give me $100, at least $100. And Tigra ran. I stood with my arms up. And if you've done any firearm training, you know what happens in a situation like that. Uh, your vision becomes tunnel vision. Uh, your, 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 the, the environment slows down and, and, and everything becomes in slow motion. And a lot of things begin to, to happen and, and, and they're distorted. Your memory is lost in certain instances. Uh, uh, and it's just a fascinating phenomenon. So all of those things happened. His mouth was in slow motion, give me $100, at least $100. Uh, I could only see the end of the barrel um, that was pointed in my forehead. And even my hearing 
uh, 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 was changed. So it was it was fascinating. So he turned the gun around, thank thankfully, and he hit it with he hit me with it instead of blowing my head off. And I threw myself to the ground in that moment, believing that that would end the altercation, uh, but it didn't. Uh, he cocked the gun, standing about three feet away from me, and I believe was trying to blow my head off, but the power of that, that gun uh, moved, in my opinion, and he shot me in the main artery of my right leg. Uh, he then got back into the driver's seat of that car, sped off, and uh, I could hear Tigra going from door to door, uh, knocking, crying for help. Uh, and, and as I lay on the ground, in that moment, the shock of that uh, gunshot, I didn't feel anything, but I knew that something bad had just happened. My goodness. And so moments later, uh, the, the ambulance that was directly across the street, uh, 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 I, I was at McClintock and Jefferson for those who may be familiar with uh, Los Angeles, uh, the, the ambulance came. And uh, I got in the ambulance and I, uh, as I was riding away, uh, uh, the Spirit of the Lord asked me if I wanted to remain, if I wanted to stay in the earth. And it was very clear to me that I had a choice. And I said to the ambulance, uh, to the paramedic rather, I said to him, brace yourselves, wait for it. I said to the paramedic, as I was responding to what I believed was a, a decision that I, I could make, I said to him, tell me just one thing. Are my balls all right? <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, we were all thinking it too, Mark. Because <laughs> I know that you're thinking that main artery. I'm a nurse, man. I was like, that's the femoral artery. That is that's awfully exactly close right. to the goods. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. And he lifted he, he lifted up the, the sheet, and he says, you're going to be fine. And I decided I would stay. <laughs> that is great, man. Oh, man, that is great. So, so ultimately, uh, I ended up having a, a complete amputation of my right leg. Uh, uh, the, the, the leg really became infected. My toes uh, were experiencing gangrene. And, uh, and the infection, infection just was really way up into my hip. So as they, as they tried to save the leg for, for weeks, uh, and it really, uh, that was July 31st of 1987, uh, they, I guess I was 22. Uh, how does that work? 1987, I'm now 54. Yeah, so anyway, <laughs> yeah. Whatever, whatever the math. You were a different man. You were a young lad. I was, I was born in 65, so <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. Uh, so ultimately... Uh, you probably can't it, remember because you were born in 1965. Yeah, the age, exactly age right. is getting to you, Mark. <laughs> <laughs> There's no doubt about it. There's no doubt. I've told this story so much, but the guy that shot me was 18. So I... I, I was oh, 18. yeah. So <laughs> That's anyway. probably what it was. That's what it was. <laughs> so I, I, they, they caught him. He turned himself in, actually. The driver turned himself in. and No, no, no. They caught the driver driving the car the next day. 
there was a manhunt uh, that was promoted uh, in the media. The, the, the shooter then turned himself in. I was the first person uh, to ever be shot at USC. So it was a really, really big deal. Yeah. And, uh, uh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it was a big deal. <laughs> and, and, and he got 25 to life. We had two trials. He got tw 25 to life in the second trial. And I don't know where he is today, but, uh, but the Lord spared me. I, I ended up at the hospital that night with one unit of blood left. You, you work in ICU. Mm -hmm. I had one unit of blood left. I had uh, renal failure. Mm -hmm. I had gone from an average 150 uh, is my normal weight to 212 by that night uh, because of the water retention. I was hydrocephalic uh, in my oh eyes. My because of the hydrocephalia, my, my, my eyes were also swollen open. So it was... Uh, it, they yeah, just for that, people that don't understand, basically they were just pumping you full of fluids because you were so near death yeah. that they were doing everything possible just to keep you alive, just so people yeah. can understand. That's why you had all these other complications wow. is because you were that close to dying they were giving yeah. all the fluids they could give you and, and ultimately wow. ended to uh, you know fluid overload. Wow. But, uh, but yeah. No one, no one has ever told me that in all these years. Mm -hmm. You just told yeah. me something that I never heard. That's amazing. Yeah, I worked at a trauma. It was the only level one trauma ICU in Arkansas. I lived in Arkansas mm -hmm. for ten years, mm -hmm. and um, so we would just get the we would get a ton of gunshots. You know, mm -hmm. especially on the weekends. You know, if it was, I worked weekend night shift, mm -hmm. that meant you know whenever wow. there was a party, you yeah. know, whenever people were doing their drinking and their drugs, that meant we were going to get mm -hmm. trauma patients. Yep. Um, wow. Or they're drinking wow. and driving. You know. Yep. Uh, wow. so, so yeah, I've seen, I've seen a lot of intense stuff and I, I do want to give a shout out to, uh, mm. University of Arkansas Medical School, mm. UAMS, mm. uh, and their trauma program. It is, uh, I mean, it's, they're doing amazing things. There's a lot of mm. amazing people. Some of the smartest people I will ever meet in my mm. entire life mm. or were, are found there at that hospital. So, amen. amen. Thank God for them. Thank God for them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, so that's the story, man. And I, I decided that after checking myself out of the hospital, uh, I, I was in rehab. Uh, I was in, I was in ICU and sort of general med, and, and then two months in rehab, and and I just had enough. I checked myself out with with the uh, IV uh, attached. Took the pole home. I said, I can't sit here any longer. Uh, we, we, we dealt with the infection. They fitted me for prosthesis. Uh, I had been receiving disability while I was in the hospital. I came out. I went back to Continental Airlines and USC. At Continental, I was at the ticket counter with one leg and crutches. At USC in the cashier's office, I went back to two jobs. And See, I that's never, incredible. I never looked back. I never looked back. Never looked back. That's discipline. I, well, it was knowing that my future was was not going to be limited by how much the uncle Uncle Sam was going to pay me in a disability check or or even an unemployment check. Yeah, uh, that see, that's what's beautiful about it is like it shows how assistance can be so useful. Like when you're in the hospital and you're experiencing that, you know, it's good to get that little bit of a that that niche that help but when you got out and you're you know it's like i'm going back to work i'm going to do what i have that's to right. do right. and then i think oh, i just love that because i know i remember when uh, you had said that on one of your youtube videos yeah. and that's what really stuck out to me yeah yeah you you have to have a you have to understand that your destiny 
is it lies in the palm of your own hands. Uh, it's the work of our hands that will get us uh, from from today to tomorrow. Uh, it, this podcast is the work of your hands, and what only God knows what He is predestined and ordained for you in this work. And we're all the same. When we wake up every day, it, what are we going to do with our hands? What are we going to do with our brains uh, that He's given us? The government is not the answer uh, to uh, if whether or not we're going to be successful tomorrow or not. Period. Uh, we live in a, we live in America. We have the ability to chart our own course. And so when I came out of the hospital, I just knew that intuitively. I wasn't political then, uh, I, but just intuitively, I knew that the world was passing me by, and I had to grab a hold of the train or the car or whatever metaphor you want to use that was zooming by every day as I lay in the hospital. I had to grab a hold of, of my future. Uh, I married my wife. I, I, I took the bar exam uh, in 1994. We got married. I opened my own law office in 1994, uh, and which nobody was doing at that time. Everybody was going to law firms. Uh, but I knew that I wanted to be in entertainment. Law firms weren't going to let you do that. I knew that I wanted to have a family. I wanted to be married. And so I took my destiny with the help of the Lord in my own hands. Uh, and I've never looked back. And that's a message. Uh, you talked earlier about students who are gravitating to, to rap and these other things. And there's, there's no, nothing wrong with pursuing your talent. I sing as well. But I knew I wasn't going to make money as a singer. I knew I had to do something that was going to be sustaining, that was going to feed my family. And that's where law school came in. Uh, and so I just encourage people to to understand that, uh, uh, you know, it's, it's okay to be talented. It's okay to sing. It's okay to, uh, to want to play sports. Uh, but you've got to have a foundation upon which those things may rest when they're all over. Education is where you start. You've got to be serious about school. You have to be serious about a trade. Uh, Jesus was a carpenter. You have to be serious about having something that will sustain you when the dreams don't come true. And if they do come true, you can look at every artist or athlete. They had a beginning and an end. Every artist that I know of, with few exceptions, Nancy Wilson died as a singer. Uh, there, 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 there are exceptions. But for the most part, People have one or two albums and they're done. Uh, people play, play basketball and football for a, a very clear period of time. Just look, at the, just look at the history. It does end. And so what do you do after that? Magic Johnson, who's a friend of mine, he is a friend of mine. Even Magic Johnson, oh, one of the man. greatest players of all time, ended his career as a basketball player. One of my mentors, Ken Lombard, uh, partnered with him to help him do fry, uh, the TGIF, uh, uh, TGIF restaurants and Starbucks. He partnered with Ken Lombard, who had banking as a background. Magic Johnson uh, learned from Ken Lombard. He became one of the preeminent uh, uh, business owners, a retired basketball player in the country, uh, because of the education of a banker and the education of someone who understood business and magic has become a prolific uh, business owner. And so you've got to look at these models and understand why are they successful? Yes, he took his talent 
and that propelled him in the space of, of, of sports. But he then became one of the best business owners after that. The, 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 don't let that be lost. Uh, and I'm talking to your listeners. Don't let that be lost on you. Uh, it wasn't just basketball that made Magic Johnson. It was the Jerry Buses of the world who understood business, who tutored him to understand the importance of an education and the importance of a life after basketball. Oh, that's great, man. That's perfect. I mean, and that's even like the whole dream of our podcast. You know, I still have it in my mind. I'm like, yeah, me, Anthony, our other co-host, Frank, we all work full-time jobs. You know, we're still, we're trying to make dreams happen, but we also have reality in check there too. There yeah, we, have a fa- we have a foundation, you know, like it's you said, that, yep. you know, per- pursue your dreams, but have, you know, have that foundation. And, and, you know, when you were talking earlier about business and, and about education and, and about all the things you've started, uh, one thing that I've realized is, you know, we're still young men, 28 years old, both of us. Uh, it's, I'm just now figuring out, you know, we are from creators and how important it is that we also create. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And I, and oddly enough, I felt like I discovered that just a few years ago when uh, I took up gardening. Mm-hmm. When you know, just to see something, you know, when you plant, and that's what I did. I thought to me it was just an amazing thing to start from seed and watch these things grow. And you know, and it's so fun, you know when you're first starting out and you're pursuing when you're pursuing creation, you know, you you don't know what you're doing. You, it's just like you're you're just gonna try it. You know, and it was funny because uh, when I first started gardening, I I was like, I think I'm going to end up killing all these things because I don't know anything about gardening. Mm. And I planted a hundred and like 50 seeds. Mm. And I say I like it literally was 150 seeds. And I thought, you know, maybe I'll be able to keep like 20 of these things. Tell me why I had like 145 plants all of a sudden, you know, and once I saw that and I saw I am more powerful than I than I thought. Mm. I, I doubted myself. I thought I was going to be killing the majority of these things. And then now all of a sudden I, I literally would go to church and my neighbors and I'd be like, Hey, I literally have 40 tomato plants. Mm. I don't know what to do. Can you take them off my hands? And people mm. loved it, you know, and I was able to build relationships too. Like me and my neighbor, mm. we were always trading plants and we just mm. would talk about it and get all excited. Mm. But, uh, I, I feel like I can, I can hear it in your voice and, uh, and mm. hearing about your friends that you have in life. Uh, mm. you know, they, they did, even though they ended their career maybe in basketball they decided to create they decided to you know be business owners and uh i really really want uh men women everybody to discover that for themselves because everyone has it in them that's exactly right it's there's a principle that applies to everything in life it's a biblical principle is that you reap what you sow Mm -hmm. whether it is in a relationship whether it is in education, whether it is in a business, or whether it is in the garden. If you, if you put a seed, if you put the seed of an apple or a tomato in the ground, you will reap a tomato plant. If you put a dollar in the bank, you will reap interest. The principle is, is that you have to do the work to plant. You have to sow. You, we must be sowers. We must be sowers into one another. If I sow kindness into you, I might not get kindness back from you, 
but kindness will come back to me. Amen. Oh, yeah. Seriously. (laughs) It is a biblical principle. Part of our challenge in life and in relationships in particular is that when we sow into someone, we have an expectation of getting something back from them. And when we don't, we find ourselves disappointed in relationship. What we have to understand is that the sowing is in the spirit realm, particularly Mm -hmm. when it comes to relationship. Uh, If I sow as a good husband, I'm going to reap from my sowing from a family context, from a legacy inheritance context. Now, I might have a cantankerous wife that I have been sowing into, (laughs) but I'm sowing into what I'm going to reap out of the family dynamic that may manifest itself in the future in the form of legacy because I have honored my wife. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah, that's, that's beautiful. Absolutely. So, so, so we have to look beyond uh, the, the, the direct and the practical aspect of the sowing and understand that we are to, to sow because it's the right thing to do. And the, and the harvest is going to come because we have simply done the right thing. Let me give you an example. When I, I had property in Atlanta and I had an aunt uh, who was my great aunt, who was always there with her husband. And when I would travel to see my property in Georgia, uh, I would always uh, make sure I said hello to her. Why? Because it was the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. I would drive in, uh, 45 minutes from my property. It was always inconvenient, always. And because of her age, it was never a long visit. Sometimes it was 30 minutes. Sometimes it was two hours. But most times, I would drive 45 minutes to spend 30 minutes. Hmm. Why? Why? Because it was just the right thing to do. When she came to uh, being a lot older, she did her will. Do you know that, you know, of course, she was much older, not of course, but she was, in fact, much older than her husband. So they never thought that, she, you know, he would die before her. Well, he did. Wow. Do you, do you know that she left everything to me? Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> wow. That, you know, just to say, that's the importance of what you said, doing the right thing, of realizing your name who you are is so important and those yeah. little steps you take in life yeah. are so they 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 speak for your life that's right have you ever seen frozen i have yes yes well i hadn't i didn't see frozen 1 but i took my son to see frozen 2 and i got to tell you uh, it, it it's wonderful to be able to see uh, an animated movie for children and get something out of it as an adult. Uh, the, 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 the line that, that, is, it, that is the thread throughout the movie is do the next right thing. Oh, that's good. Do See, the next right thing. That is a philosophy to live by. That is um, because 
you know what's right. I feel like people know what is right. Like what you're talking about, making that extra step to mm-hmm. see someone and talk to them, you know what the right thing is. We we really do have a deep distinction now. Some people have maybe slightly different viewpoints on that, but you yeah. always kind of know what's right. You can feel it literally like in the pit of your stomach, you know? Absolutely. Absolutely. And I, I know I can speak from experience. Uh, just a few years ago, I had one of the hardest things ever happened to me in life. Mm-hmm. And be, and it was by someone I was very, very close to. Mm-hmm. And there were so many times that anger would swell up in me and I wanted to get even. I wanted it, but I was mm-hmm. surrounded by good people. Mm-hmm. And they kept me safe where like my mom was like, Anthony, you cannot control other people, but you can control yourself. Yep. You need to do what's right. God is watching you suffer and he is not forgetting you. Joseph in Genesis mm. went through the hardest times and you know that we can even imagine. Not only was he sold into slavery by his own brothers, was then, you know, thrown, you know, was in Egypt. And when he things looked like they were good, he was then thrown into prison. You know, he went through some hard, hard times and and I want to say he was in prison for years and years. But finally, you know, God never forgot him, even in the hard times. And he and Joseph kept doing what was right. And then, because if, you know, if you know the story, uh, Joseph became yeah, it's exactly. Joseph became the second highest in Egypt, and there was a famine at that time. And Egypt was the strongest nation at that time. So God, even when you're going through hard times, that is when, that's when you've got to do the right thing. You know, you do the right thing all the time, but that's when you're tested. And I'm telling you, that is when you put, you get through that, that is when you will get rewarded. Well, you just talked about Joseph, and I, and I have to tell you, uh, other than this, the gospel itself, uh, Joseph is one of my favorite stories because it's, it's, it's got such a, uh, for your listeners, if you haven't read it, um, j- just read uh, the Bible or a book on the life of Joseph. Uh, because at the at the end of that, it it really does show. Uh, the, the word says, "God shall never leave us or forsake us." He has a plan in Jeremiah uh, eleven twenty nine, a plan for, for our lives, and Joseph is is a perfect example of that. Because at the end of that story, we find that because of the position that God placed Joseph in, even through all of the circuitous routes that he took to get there. Uh, being over all of Egypt, and grain was the currency of the day. He was over all of the grain in Egypt. And when his family came, not knowing that Joseph was in the position that he was in, or that he was even alive, they came in time of famine. And Joseph was in a position, what, to to do two things. To preserve his own family, but, 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 but what's most important about that? His family was the line to the Savior. Mm. Wow. Mm-hmm. It's just... God is in all things, and his purpose shall be fulfilled. And that story of Joseph is just amazing, and it's beautiful because it's a testament to uh, you know, Romans 8 and 28. All things work together for the yeah. good of those who love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. Uh, and no, ma- no matter the, the, the Potiphar jail experience uh, or him uh, be, being uh, sold into slavery uh, and then ultimately being uh, <laughs> over Egypt, frankly, he was, he was the ruler second to Pharaoh. He was given charge over Egypt. 
Yeah, well, that's what. Yeah, that's the thing, right? He uh, first he ran Potiphar's household, this prominent guy, and then he lost all that, went to jail. Then he was running the jail, and then after that, then you know he had the visions, so he spoke to the pharaoh and um, was running Egypt, like you said. That's just and the crazy thing about that story, I love too, is that all this was set in motion years and years and years before, you know, as when he was a kid, essentially, right? And it it came into fruition when he was like forty. Yeah, and so yeah. for our, my message to, to young people, to young males, to, you know, anyone really is that what you're doing now, you know, even if you're just building, laying that foundation, you're putting down the brick and mortar, it's going to come to fruition 10 years from now, five years from That's now, right. 20 years from now. Um, that foundation can one day be a castle. Yeah. No doubt. And, and here's the point to add to that, because this culture in this day and age and the, and the millennials in particular they all want to be successful now because the culture keeps Rolls Royces and expensive champagne at the forefront uh, and clothes and trips and all of that. They all want it now. And they, yes. are for, they are forsaking the foundation upon which these things can be uh, achieved and sustained. There's nothing wrong with abundance. Uh, it's wrong to think that uh, uh, that is uh, the, 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 end, the end game. All right, um, uh, and it's in, in the Bible says that it's the love of money that's the root of evil. So it's it's not it's not it's 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 okay to want those things, but you've got to have a foundation upon which the important things of life are built, uh, and then those things should be added on uh, as benefits uh, to to not only bless yourself but to bless others. That's oh, what yeah. abundance is for. Oh, big time! I I love that. Um, and so Mark, you know. One of my last things I got for you is, like you said, you know, you've you've started businesses. You you've seemed to have done so much, whether it's in education, law, you know, entertainment. You've done so much, but what what's your mission right now? You know, you mm-hmm. said you're 54. You're you know, mm-hmm. you've done you've already accomplished so much. I can look at someone like you and go, man, I would love to accomplish, you know, half of what you've done. Um, but what what motivates you now? What are you doing yeah. now? What's your sure. mission? It's a, it's a great question, um, and thank you so much for it, because uh, you only get to certain uh, understandings in life, you know, w- with age. And so my mission is twofold, is to do, is to, is to do well while doing good. Uh, and so, so let, me, let me say very clearly that uh, legacy uh, is really important uh, for, for, for me. Legacy is not only money, but legacy is passing down some of the things that we've talked about uh, to my son. Uh, that, to me, is what success is today. Um, it's money, uh, but also it's, it's leaving something behind that says I was here, something to be proud of. The schools uh, that I started are part of that legacy. But my prayer, uh, most importantly, uh, as, as sort of an end cap to what I just said, I say to the Lord now, I, I, I want you to put me where you need me. So it takes the focus off of what I think is important onto what is his call in this season of my life. Uh, why am I in Washington, D.C., other than to have prayed for uh, the president uh, I love on, February, that. on February 27th? Oh, I was able to lay hands on the most arguably the most powerful man on the planet. It was, yeah. not, it was not planned. 
uh, but it was ordained. Oh, it wasn't so even planned. Wow. It was not planned. Oh, it's uh, beautiful. And so what is the Lord saying? Um, I, I think at the end of the day, if that's not the question we're asking, we're asking the wrong question. And so it, even as you go to the ICU or as you go to your school, what, what is it that the Lord has planned for us today? Uh, because I was shot, I know that tomorrow is not promised. Uh, and so I live my life in a way that I'm very aware that I might leave my apartment even while being quarantined and walk out uh, and be shot or run over. So being on this call, um, everything I do has to have purpose and value. Um, this call has purpose and it has value because of the mission that you've been given. And that's why I'm here. Uh, so what is it that God is telling us he needs us to do today? That is the daily prayer. And so I hope that answers the question, you know, that. Oh, it, it, more than answered. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, that is just, I am so, I know even if, let's just say no one else heard this message, which I know people will because things are snowballing so fast for us. But um, that meant so much to me because I mean, as I, I obviously I'm a believer, but it is easy to forget that, you know, you can go through the motions. You can let the wind, you know, blow your sails instead of you creating your own path and, you know, searching your own path. And it's so hard to, or it's so easy to forget, Lord, what do you want me to do today? That's right. I, I'm I'm your tool. What do you want me to do? That's right. That's right. And I, I'm I'm guilty of it. I know we're all guilty we of all it are. at times. We all are. And uh, man, thank you for just such a great reminder yeah. of that. Yeah. And I'm so glad that that's your purpose because, uh, I mean, you've affected me uh, on this Amen. very own call. Me too. <laughs> Amen. 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 I'm just I'm I'm glad to be alive. You know, I could have been gone, and so I'm here. And I'm here because God wants me here. So uh, I'm, I'm, I'm thankful. I'm glad we met. And, uh, and I'm looking forward to our next encounter. Oh, absolutely. We'll have to do another one. I guess if we could end, you know, on something uh, so powerful. But I do, I'm curious about how, how was this prayer with Trump? How did this happen if it wasn't planned? I assumed it was planned. I, yeah, no, it was not planned. So uh, because of the work that I do with the Center for Urban Renewal and Education here in Washington, D.C. I'm the chairman of the board, uh, but they needed an interim COO. And so I moved here, uh, what was supposed to be for three months. It's now been 10 um, wow. to, to operate the company. And as a result of that, um, the Lord has just made things happen that were not planned. Um, so I, I'm, I'm on Fox from time to time when they uh, are, are in need of someone to talk about uh, certain issues. And so I do that. Uh, but so uh, Cure is a known uh, entity. It's founded by Star Parker, who is fairly uh, prominent. And so I was invited to uh, a meeting uh, 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 for the Black History Month. I had no idea uh, where the meeting was going to take place. I had no idea who was going to be in attendance. Um, so we all arrived in the West Wing, which was the first time I'd ever been there. I've been to the White House several times, thankfully, uh, in prior administrations. Uh, and uh, wow. I, I arrived into the West Wing, which is an awesome experience uh, to go through that canopy where the president uh, comes and goes every day. Uh, and uh, I, I went in and, 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 and people began to gather. Uh, Jack Brewer, former football player, 
uh, Diamond and Silk, Alveda King, uh, Stacey Washington, uh, several, several amazing people, Terrence Williams, David Harris Jr., uh, 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 all became, uh, you know, started coming in, Candace Owen uh, and, and Paris Denard and others. And I just had no idea. I didn't know who was invited, so I'm sitting there just, uh, you know, taking it all in. Finally, we were, we were invited in, and I didn't know into where until I got there. We all arrived in the cabinet room, uh, wow. which, is, which is directly adjacent to the Oval Office. Oh, uh, man. Which, which, by the way, I didn't know. Uh, so, I'm getting uh, goosebumps. <laughs> yeah, and so when we arrived into the cabinet room, all of our names were on nameplates, which also tells you uh, your, your positioning was predestined. Yeah. Your positioning wow. around that table, someone gave thought to where I would sit. I was seated five seats away to the president's left. I was seated <laughs> yeah. five seats away. There were only four people between me and the president. Daryl Scott, who you might know as who, who was a pastor, was, was also uh, there, and he was uh, uh, in one of those seats. And so uh, Angela Stanton King, who uh, was the recipient of a pardon by the president, was also uh, uh, in one of those seats uh, between me and the president. So, I mean, just, just an amazing experience. So the president then, uh, uh, well, before I get to that, Pastor Paula White came in from the Oval Office, and I happened to be seated right in that space. And so when she came in, I stood because she had been a guest at the church that I was leading in Los Angeles for many, many years. So I was able to greet her, to remind her of who I was. And that was an a, 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 a ordained moment in and of itself, and I'll tell you why in a minute. So after Paula White came in, some other staff came in uh, that I knew, and they were sort of Jared Kushner. They all came in, and they were greeting and going around the table, saying hello to everyone. And then the President of the United States entered into that room and brushed by me, and, and all things then stopped yeah, I bet. yeah and and he was seated and and he had some opening remarks and and then told us he was going to invite the media in and give us all an opportunity to introduce ourselves uh and we did and he did his normal uh uh sort of uh, uh filibustering is a pejorative in some senses <laughs> yeah but it, it's not intended, it's not a, not intended to be in this in this way. Yeah, uh, he just began to talk, and the media did what they do, uh, uh, and then uh, the meeting went on. We were already late uh, for the actual Black uh, History celebration that was waiting for us in the White House in the East Room itself, uh, and uh, and and so I knew that the time would be short, and so he did his his deal, and we were all uh, happy to be there and. And then as the meeting came to an end, Paula White said, Mr. President, do you think we could pray for you? And he said, certainly. So I'm also an ordained pastor, as you probably know. Yeah. And, mm -hmm. so, and so for me, a call to prayer is, is, an, easy, is an easy response. Oh, so yeah. I, I got out of my chair, and Pastor Paula got out of hers. She was seated literally on the opposite side of this big table. And she and I got up, and we walked. And we simultaneously met one another at the president's rear. Uh, 
spiritually, <laughs> spiritually speaking, you know, as I have digested this moment, we were his rear guard in that moment. Yeah. Oh, wow. And, Literally. And the, and the others formed a, 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 you know, wow. a circle around us. No one moved quickly, uh, uh, but, the, you know, which led me to be the point person. So as they gathered, I expected Pastor Paula to pray because that is really her role, mm -hmm. uh, is, is the faith-based initiative leader for the White House. So I was happy to defer to her. But in that moment, as we gathered and I stood behind him with my hand on his back, Pastor Paula turned to me and said, go ahead. Oh, wow. Oh, man. Oh, wow. I just that got goosebumps. That is incredible. And without hesitating, if you've seen the prayer, I prayed. And because there were other people in the room, like Paula, like Alveda King, like Daryl Scott and others, um, I, I expected others to pray. Mm -hmm. So if you listen closely, I never said mm -hmm. amen. I said in Jesus' name, and then I waited for others to pray, and Pastor Paula said, amen. Oh, and, there, wow. and, there, and there is a photo that I have after that moment where I am turning and I am now saying to myself, oh my goodness, what just happened? I yeah, was that's, the, that's incredible. I was the only one. And so it, it was, it was a, a, a moment that just blew me away. And so, uh, uh, of course, what came after that uh, were attacks by Jimmy Kimmel, by Saturday Night Live, by Spike Lee, uh, and by guests on the Don Lemon Show, which then gave, and they used the image of prayer uh, to, to, to mock the encounter. They called us White House Negroes. They said a host of other things. I hyperbolically referred to the president as the best president since Abraham Lincoln. I was referring to uh, you know, his policies for the African-American community. No president has had such a very aggressive agenda for African-Americans, so that's what I meant. Uh, but they then took that and ran with it. But, but what I didn't care for was the mockery of people praying for the president. Yeah. First, first Timothy 2, 1 through 4. And, and I took issue with that, and it gave me the opportunity uh, to use that as a platform to promote uh, the gospel as it relates to that particular passage. And so uh, that was not planned. Uh, uh, the Lord uh, provided the, the avenue. One video in particular uh, uh, has now 3.2 million views. Wow. Uh, and people all around the country uh, have called... Uh, people who don't agree with my political affiliation uh, saw that picture. Many saw that video. And, you know, at the end of the day, whether you are a Democrat or a Republican, uh, this was not a party issue. It was what does the Word of God say? What does the Word of God tell us as believers to do? And it says, I exhort you to pray for the authorities and the leaders over you. And so if you disagree with that passage, you disagree with the Word of God. And that's between you and them. I was simply doing the Word of God. And I'm so very thankful that he gave me the opportunity to, uh, to shine on his behalf 
in that moment. Yeah, I mean, that's incredible that you were afforded that opportunity and you got to do uh, what you did. I mean, and then to be called, I mean, you know, pardon me saying this, but you were called an Uncle Tom on CNN. Oh yeah, on, on CNN. They, yeah, I know. And I'm uh-huh. like, and I'm like, this man got to pray for the president. Like, who cares who the president is? You get to pray yeah. for the president. You get That's to right. do, you know. Um, so that was crazy. But that was yeah. one of my my questions I had. I was like, yeah. you know, how do you react to that? I'm glad yeah. you were able to kind of answer that just now. Well, um, I'll tell you. I'll just add to that quickly. Um, I take comfort in the attacks. Ooh, well, I will. Yeah. <laughs> because, I, that, okay. Go I know, ahead. I, I know where the attack comes from. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and if you're not being attacked, then perhaps you're not doing anything. Oh, that's true. Absolutely, uh, Mark. I want to add to this. You know, so the way we came in contact with you uh, lately, this is just—I mean, we've been working at this now for a couple of months, and uh, we, we just ultimately we decided this week to answer a call. And that call was what happened. We contacted somebody that just w- awoken something in us. I saw something on TV and I, and I, I got, I met up with Eric. I said, I don't even want to tell you on the phone. I want to talk to you in person. Mm-hmm. And I said, uh, Eric, this guy is about to become a sensation. We need to hit him up now. We hit him up. And then late, two days later, he, he, he tells, he tells, he starts telling people that Nick Cannon, all of a sudden had contacted him. And so we luckily were enough to get him. But when, after we contacted him, Eric said, I want to keep, I want to find somebody else that that, that's, there's this voice or whether they're just different. I just want a different style guest, just like this guy. And he said, you know what I want? I want a a, a strong black father conservative to Mm. come on our show. We only messaged one one person that filled that title and that was you mark little <laughs> i'm serious and i'm serious wow. and i i mean absolutely and you know and we were so now that we're talking with you i'm just so happy that we answered that call that you know mm. that we felt that we should message you because yeah. it is wow. so easy for us to just feel like oh he won't respond back to us mm. or but no, we, we felt called right, to do man. it and we did it and now your message you know like you said you know and and the reason we wanted a black conservative too mm-hmm. is because like you said, they're so attacked. Yeah. They are, they are attacked by the, the, your own race. Yeah. I call them the black Gestapo. I did a piece mm-hmm. in Christian post about it. You know, the black liberals think that they can control black thought for the, for everyone else. It's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And, um, I just wanted to say, I'm just so glad that you are embracing who you truly are, who God wants you to be. Uh, and it's like, a, we are just now getting a taste of what we're of accepting that call. Mm-hmm. And like I said earlier, things are snowballing so fast. We, we don't even know what to do with it. Wow. Well, praise God for you. And I'm going to be praying for this podcast. I'm going to be praying for the call of God on your lives. Uh, I'm going to be praying for your guests. Uh, that there would be a, a bilateral ministry, that you would not only be impacted, but they would also be impacted by you. Uh, and, then, and then that your listeners would, would, be, would be grown and educated, uh, and that they would take uh, your ministry and spread, and spread it. It's all about uh, touching other people uh, with the kinds of things that God would say to this culture. It doesn't always have to uh, sound churchy. There's what's called marketplace ministry. Uh, we, 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 we take the gospel with us wherever we go. 
Uh, and mm. that's how we how, that's how we impact lives. Ed Silvoso has a great book about it. It's called Ecclesia. Uh, it's a great book about marketplace ministry, and I believe that's the the new phase of the church. And I think this pandemic, uh, in in many ways, is going to lead uh, and further that sort of uh, that that type of ministry, uh, where we where we're we're gathering in smaller units now, like the first century church. So I know I've, I've gone just a little off uh, uh, target here, but one thing led to the next. But I wanted to share that, and that'll be my prayer uh, for you with this podcast. Awesome. That's beautiful. We appreciate it. We absolutely do. I, I know uh, I'm I'm speechless from this. All I know is that uh, I look forward to a future episode with you at a, in a later date uh, where we can check in on each other. And uh, I really just feel like I made a friend today. Uh, we Like we say, uh, whenever we really connect with, with somebody, we say, hey, you, we consider you just a couple dudes. You're with us. Yeah, That's right. Well, I love the title, Just a Couple Dudes. And next time, uh, when we're not in quarantine, I'm going to take the call from my cigar bar where I can be having my cigar while we talk. Oh, <laughs> that, that would be amazing. Um, and so what I just wanted to tell you, too, is, um, you know, so I'm going to get this, you know, downloaded, edited, posted up, and then I'm going to send you to, to your email. You know, you do whatever you want with it, man. All this audio, oh, everything we've done today, it's all for you. I'll send it to you, and uh, you can do anything you want with it, all right? I'll, yeah. I'll put it out, my friends, and I bless you both. I'm so thankful that you reached me. What you don't know is my, uh, is my Instagram uh, only became public about two, three weeks ago. <laughs> I, I, I started Instagram only to check on my cute nieces to make sure that, you know, they weren't, <laughs> they weren't be becoming a part of this uh, dark culture. Yep. And then when all this stuff began to happen at the White House, I felt uh, that I needed to uh, be more available to whatever the Lord would, would do and say. So uh, the timing was perfect. Yeah, it's 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 beautiful. And you mentioned that um, you know I found you through David Harris uh, Jr. Oh, yeah. Actually, sure. and and so um, I'm just glad that I can't believe it. what what amazing timing you just made it public, and then I messaged you two weeks later. That's great. <laughs> <laughs> That's God. That's it was meant God. to be. That man. is absolutely right, man. That's All right. right. That's right. All right, and you then, guys. Bless you. Well, what else? Uh, yeah. Uh, the very last thing. Uh, how can people find you if they want to contact oh, you? Sure. So uh, on Twitter, it's at Prodigal Repub, Prodigal spelled with a G, Prodigal Repub. On uh, Facebook, it's my Facebook page. I don't do a lot of personal Facebook, uh, but my Facebook page is The Prodigal Republican. Uh, my book, uh, my website is theprodigalrepublican.com, uh, uh, where you'll see my book and you'll see a lot of my interviews there, uh, uh, video and otherwise. Uh, print and so forth, and uh, Instagram, Mark T. Little, Mark with a C, T as in Thomas, Little. That's it. Awesome. That is awesome. And that's why we'll have to do another episode because we didn't even get to touch about your books because yeah, uh, no, I believe you've fine. written multiple. Am I right? Nope, or is it just one? Nope. Just one and it was so painful. I don't think I'll ever do another one. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. It's, it's funny because me and Eric, are we've been talking about writing a book. Yeah. So well, it's a re you got to really want to do it. That's all I can tell you. Oh, okay. That's good. That's good information, man. Well, hey, Mark, this this has been amazing. This has been a beautiful 90 minutes. It's been informative. It's been impactful and spiritual. And if everyone who's listening right now, I mean, go ahead and check Mark out and uh, wait. Stay tuned for the next stuff we're going to do. Amen. Bless all right. You guys. Bless awesome, you. man. You take all care. Right. You have a great Saturday. Thank you. You too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right. Bye.